see so many people in church today, isn't it? Isn't it fantastic? Happy New Year to everybody. Um, thank you very much. Very kind. Who likes stories? I love stories. I love it when people tell stories. And uh, one of the best storytellers that I knew, um, probably because he was somebody that was dear to my heart, was my granddad. And my granddad used to tell me stories, and I used to get excited when he'd tell me stories. But the stories that I loved the most, because I was a little boy, a bit adventurous, all the rest of it, were the stories about the war. And my granddad had loads of stories about the war when they were living in Bristol. One of the ones that I remember him telling me was that they all, stood, they all sat inside their living room one afternoon, and all of a sudden they heard a noise. It was like... And that noise got louder. And the drone got louder and louder. And they walked out of their house. They looked up into the sky. And the whole sky was full of German planes. And it was the first time that they flew over to, uh, out to Phelan, to bomb Phelan area, etc. He told me another story about a bombing. And he'd run upstairs into the top uh, room of his house. And there on the bed was a bomb, an incendiary bomb that had burnt through the, the, through the roof of the house and landed on the, uh, on the bed. He told me uh, another story. These are all about bombs. <laughs> another story about another bomb that had landed out in the main street and created such a crater that in the summer, when it filled with water, everyone used to go for a swim in it. It was amazing. And he was always telling these stories, but a good story is one which comes to life and that you can actually picture being in it. Observe what is being said. Feel the sense of what it must have been like to be there. We were talking just this week in the office, uh, and Claude was saying that um, as people of this book, we need not just to know what it says, but we need to be able to apply it to our lives. See, there are many books out there full of knowledge on all matter of subjects. Years ago, when I was at university, I studied business and I studied books on marketing. And uh, in marketing, there's something that they call the marketing mix. And it refers to a structure, a framework in which you can analyze a business. It's place, product, price, and promotion. And you take those elements and you analyze the business with it. So, for instance, if I was to take that framework and apply it to a real business like a Christmas tree business, I could analyse the way in which it operates in relation to the customer. So, for instance, the place and the product for a Christmas tree business, there's no point in selling Christmas trees on a beach in the middle of summer. The place and the product are not the right time or place, is it, to be selling that? There's no point in making your trees so expensive that no one buys them. And these are factors that you need to uh, uh, consider when you apply them to a business. However, over time I discovered that merely knowing theory doesn't equal to becoming a millionaire. Similarly, with the Bible... It provides us with that framework for life. But firstly, we need to be able to understand, and then we need to know how to apply it. 
And that is exactly where this book differs from any other book. You can have the brightest mind in the world, yet this book claims to be the living and active Word of God. And it will make absolutely no sense to you. You could be a doctor. You could be a politician. You could be Bill Gates. And be able to under- but not be able to understand the heartfelt truths of what is being said here. How can that possibly be? Surely the more intelligent that you are, the more you are going to understand. But as we know, God's ways are not like man's ways. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 21, 16, from the lips of children and infants, Lord, you have called praise to yourself. You see, even a child can grasp what is being said here. What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at how Jesus communicated to people. And if you've got a Bible with you today, I'm going to be reading from chapter 13 of the book of Matthew. And we're looking at verses 10 to 13. And Jesus had a way of communicating with people through the use of stories. And we're going to just look at, look at why he did that today. And it says this in verse chapter 13, verse 10. It says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. See, when my granddad was telling stories... I was enticed, I was uh, interested in what happened during the war. Um, I was interested in the thought and the bravery of my grandparents dealing with a situation that was completely out of the ordinary and people were just getting on with it. A good story, you see, awakens the thoughts. An exceptional circumstance being endured and dealt with everyday people. The story was about... The feeling of actually being there in the story as though I was actually captured. It was all in my imagination. It's the same principle with a parable. The story itself is just a story if you take it for just that. But a parable is a little bit different. The story itself, within the parable, sorry, within a parable concealed under the layers of the story is a far deeper meaning. It's concealed but it has this incredible advice for life. Jesus conceals that advice within the story so that it is more palatable for the listener. They are not stories that are designed to appeal to our intellect, but rather to our hearts. Even the most acute of minds can miss the meaning behind the parables. A parable is firstly directed at the heart And then the mind. Jesus is aware that his audience is made up of different people. He knows there are people who are there listening intently, who are intrigued as to what he has to say. Perhaps 
For them, he has something out of the ordinary to say, and that's why they're listening to him. Perhaps he has an alternative opinion. Maybe there are people there who are listening because somebody else has dragged them along. There are people there who detest what he has to say. They detest it because it offends them. It pokes them. And it puts their own lives under a magnifying glass. A realisation of the implications of Jesus' words could come at far too great a cost and price for them to want to listen. See, I think Claude touched on this last week, but following Christ, it comes at a cost. It's a battle for your heart. Your heart is torn between what it already is attached to and what Jesus is now offering. In order to take what Jesus offers you, it could cost you what you already have. These are why Jesus' words can be so difficult. Example. Let's cut to the hardest one. Material possessions. He puts this demand on many a follower. What if Jesus said to you this morning, I want you to sell up and I want you to go to witness to people in Bolivia. Just made that up. Don't know why Bolivia. Could be Bolivia. The direct words of Jesus were and still far too difficult for many to accept. See, Jesus recognises this. Contained within these verses is a stern warning. The same kind of approach as God took to Pharaoh. I can give you the information, but if you are too stubborn to listen or hear or just blatantly ignore, then there comes a point, well, I will not waste my words on you anymore. The overall message of the Bible is that God does want a relationship with you and with every one of us. But it's for us to choose. It's not forced upon us. And God certainly won't force that upon people who just do not want to listen. I met um, a guy out in America just before I came to faith when I was doing the bike shows. And uh, we got invited to do a show at uh, this chap's uh, kid's birthday party. So we went along, we performed the show, I got talking to after him after, and he was a Christian. And he shared a story with me. And he said that, because we, we were in his house, I was looking around, it was like a palace. Like a palace, swimming pool with rock pools and rivers flowing and all the rest of it. And I was like, how did you come to all this? And he says, well, I had a business. Um, and only uh, three years ago, my business was worth a million dollars. I said, wow, a million dollars. Can I imagine having that much money? He said, but God put it on my heart to give away 90% of everything that I own. I said, what did you do? My wife told me not to do anything. But I knew that I had to give away 90%. He gave away 90%. He told me a year later, his business was worth $11 million. Well, what's the relevance of all this to us today? Well, if we ask the question, as did the disciples... Why talk to people in the form of parables? Perhaps we can discover something in the way that we should approach our own interactions with people. 
See, there is a lesson here on how to approach people concerning the gospel. In my experience, a mind that has already made a decision, it provides a real block to the heart if you confront it head on and tell it what it's good for it. It's no good trying to enforce upon someone the desire for God unless inwardly it has appealed to them first. In other words, the conviction that someone feels awakens a reasoning within themselves for change. They can either accept it or reject it. When I was out in the States, was when I first came to faith, there was a chap that uh, knew that I'd started going to church. And I was just about to go to church. I had about 20 minutes to get there. And he said to me, where are you going this afternoon? He happened to be in the house. I said, oh, I'm off to church in a minute. He went, oh, uh, he goes, uh, uh, do you think I could come? I said, no, you haven't got time. I said, I'm getting, clear, I'm getting cleaned up and I'll be off. So I jumped in the shower. He said, oh, can I come? Can I come? I said, well, if you're not in the car when I'm ready to go, too late. I'll be gone. Get in the car, he comes running out, jumps in the car with me, goes off to church. I swear, every word that was said in that service was about this guy's life. The power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in that moment was so strong that he got up and he left 10 minutes before the service even finished. Everything was about this guy's life. Verse 12, it says, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, he what, even what he has shall be taken away from him. It's interesting, this verse, in the light of what we've been watching this week. We've watched a 16-year-old chap go right to the top of the world of darts, haven't we? This child prodigy that comes from nowhere, he takes the pro circuit by storm. And now the talk is all about whether he should go on and be with the eight best players in the world to play off against each other on a 17-week uh, tournament. So all the commentators are now concerned whether this 16 or 17-year-old chap will be able to handle the pressure of all that. And rightly so. In this instance, you would hope that the television and the sponsorships would set their agendas to one side and think about what really matters. You'd hope that common sense would prevail, whatever is the decision, and that the best interest of a 16-year-old lad would be made. Similarly, in verse 12, um, Jesus is saying that, in this verse, he's saying, what really is the best interest for you is my words and what I can give you. For what I can give you will not cause you harm, but instead it will bring you life. Your current life, your current possessions, they don't really matter compared to what I have for you. Jesus is saying, for your sake, you should really be concerned about what really matters. Prioritize my words over everything. Now, some of you that uh, regularly attend the church, you might receive the sad email this week. We lost one of our own this week, uh, a member of the congregation that hasn't been here for a while, but attended the church for years, June Leg. Um, she actually, for the last four or five years, was bedridden. Um, and she was in, in the home. Um, but I can tell you now, every time I went to see this lady, despite her situation, nothing, absolutely nothing, could steal her joy. 
Every time I would see her, she would tell me about her prayer time, about different things that she was praying for, and different people that she was praying for. That is what she did with her time, 24-7. She prayed. And then, without fail, every time I went to see her, she would tell me about an encounter that she had had with the Lord whilst walking on Hadrian's Wall in, in, um, in Scotland. And she would say to me, she'd go, oh, it was beautiful, Mark. It was beautiful. If only I could touch that again. I'd love to have that experience again. See, what, what really matters in this life? A woman who, despite her situation, despite her body that had given up on her, she still thought of others and offered up unselfish prayers to God daily. Nothing can strip away that faithfulness of someone whose only real interest was those things that were beyond the realm of our current existence. A woman led in a bed who could never get up and could not stand. She had nothing, and yet she had everything. And more was awaiting for her. And on Wednesday, sadly, for us, she passed. But for her, what a reward. She's going to experience Hadrian's Wall every day now. Fantastic. You see, becoming a Christian is just the beginning. Choosing to follow Jesus is just the first step. Now, admittedly, I've actually gone right there and I've bashed many a person over the head with the Bible, especially when I first came to faith. I was like a pinball machine, really. I wanted to bash into everyone, let them know about Jesus, let them know what Jesus could do for their life. It was only when God told me to shut up did I actually begin to see some results and people come into faith. Now, the issue here is in thinking that because I've had this revelation of the meaning of life, everyone else is going to easily follow, especially if I go and throw it down their throat. We seem to forget that it wasn't any man or woman or child that convicted us on the inside. It was only when we met and experienced the conviction of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Only then did we have this overwhelming desire and realisation for a need to change in our own lives. To change from the way that we were living to a way that Jesus wants us to live. There is nothing that anyone can explicitly say that will turn that key. You need to discover it for yourself. And it would be my prayer today that his Holy Spirit would open up the eyes of all of us and our hearts to recognize that his words are really good. It is the living God that is speaking to you through the meanings of a parable. That intrinsic motivation is discovered between you and him. And he opens the eyes and the ears of your heart as to what he has to say. There's no mediator in human form. You discover that relationship with him for yourself. People can only merely point the direction for you. Look, there's no point in bashing people with the gospel. Think about Christ. Christ walked in front of people and they didn't accept him. He spoke to them and they didn't accept him. What on earth makes you think that anything that you've got to say is going to make him accept him.
The work is done by the Holy Spirit, not by you and me. How about we take the approach, a different approach? How about we do what Jesus did? Jesus told stories, a little bit more indirect. See, I'm going to tell you a story in a minute, but just as I think about those last few lines in verse 13. Verse 13, it says, For whoever has... Oh, sorry, no, it doesn't. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not understand. All sounds a bit like another riddle, doesn't it? A bit, but what it does, it actually reminds me of two of my old customers that I used to have. When I was doing my grass cutting business, I used to go to see these two old ladies, and they actually had a house next to each other, side by side, because they were sisters. And you'd think that'd be fantastic for me, because I can do two jobs all in one go. But there was a complication. One of the sisters was blind, and the other sister was deaf. I can remember I knocked on the door of Joan, who was slightly hard of hearing. I knocked on her door one morning, I said, hello, Joan. She said, you are a bad boy. I said, what do you mean? She said, you were supposed to be here ten minutes ago. I said, Joan, I'm here, I'm here. She goes, come on in, there's plenty to do. Then the phone would ring and it would be Kathleen, her sister. And she'd go, hello. Hello. Hello, uh, is that Mark? Has Mark turned up? Is that Kathleen? Like this. This is how it would go on. And then when it got to paying the bill, I'd say to Joan, I'd say, Joan, um, I'd say to Kathleen, the one that couldn't see, I'd, I'd say to her, um, Kathleen, I'm going to have to give the bill to Joan because she can read it, so then she can pay it. I say, Joe, I'm going to give you the bill. Whatever you do, don't give me the bill today. It's not my turn. Give it to Kathleen. I said, well, you've got to have it. You've got to be able to read it for me. It was so confusing. And it went on like this. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, that, to me, could be deemed as being something that would discourage us. But in fact, it rather it encourages me. It takes the responsibility of bringing someone to Christ off of me and it puts it onto him. I can't make someone understand. It's Jesus who speaks to people's hearts. Fortunately, for you and me, we have a mediator, don't we? Someone who can communicate directly to our hearts. I pray in this moment, before I tell this final story, that God will enlighten you as to what his son Jesus Christ has done for you. I make no apologies. I've told this story before, but I'm going to repeat it. But I want you to listen to the story carefully. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, I just want to give you a clue. Some of the figures in this, in this, uh, in this story are people. There's uh, an enemy. There's God the Father, and there's Jesus. There was a boy who was in Yeovil, and he lived uh, far away on the West Coast Riviera, Western Supermare. And he had to get home. 
And so his mate said to him, he said, well, why don't you just jump on the train? Well, I haven't got any money. Just jump on the train. This young lad jumps on the train. The train takes off to Western Supermare. He hasn't bought a ticket. He's just jumped on the train. The conductor walks along the corridor of the train. Tickets, please. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Tickets, please, to this young lad. I haven't got a ticket. He said, well, you have to have a ticket to have got on this train. He said, but I, 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 I can't find my ticket. Are you sure, Sonny? He said, but I haven't got any money in my pocket to pay for the ticket. So if you haven't got a ticket and you haven't got money to pay for that ticket, when we get to the next station, you're getting off and I'm going to contact the police to meet you at the other end. With that, in the carriage, two ladies stood up at the back of the carriage. They come running down the carriage. And they, they came up and they said, Conductor, Conductor, what's going on here? And one of them pulled out a badge. She was undercover transport police. She said, what's going on? He said, well, this lad hasn't got a ticket. She said, well, when we get to the next station, Sonny, you're going to come with me. With that, the lad just burst into tears. There was a man in the carriage, and he'd been watching all this commotion, what was going on. As soon as he saw the lad burst into tears, he'd gone up and he walked over. He said, what's going on? He said, excuse me, sir, you don't need to get involved in this, said the, uh, said the transport police. The conductor said, well, this lad hasn't got a ticket. He said, well, it's a bit harsh, isn't it? He said, I'll tell you what, what's preventing me from buying a ticket for him? Because that's a, well, 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 it's a slightly out of the ordinary, but um, I don't see why not. So the man pays for the lad's ticket. They get to the final destination. The lad gets off the train, and the man says to him, he says, look, here's your chance. Don't ever do that again. Don't jump on a train without money. And the lad was like, I won't, I won't, I'm so thankful. That's an analogy for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let me paint the picture for you. The conductor is Father God, who is with us on life's journey, on this train. And he wants that destination to be somewhere very beautiful, where June is right now. But because we mess up, like this lad in the story, there's a price that has to be paid to be on that train. Nobody else can pay, it, pay for it. There's an accuser, the transport police, who want to do everything to get you off that journey. Don't want you to go to that final destination. And then there's the man who paid the price for that ticket, who died on a cross in place of your sin, so that you don't have to go to the place downstairs. Jesus died on the cross for you and me. He died in the place where we couldn't be, where we didn't have to go, because he did it for us. Let's just pray. Father God, I just uh, just want to lift you up this morning, Lord God. We just thank you for our time that we've had with you here this morning, Lord God. And we just want to focus our hearts and our eyes right now 
And um, what we're going to do is Joseph's going to play some music. We're going to have a last song. But I just want you to get, for those that are here this morning, just to consider this. What really matters at this moment in your life? Jesus said that his words were the thing that really, really mattered. The things that he can teach us in parables really, really matter. The Bible shows us and instructs us how to live our lives. And it really, really does matter. So for those of us that are here today, I pray that it would be our hearts would be turned towards now following you, Christ. Following Jesus. And there might be somebody here today who has never met Jesus and wants to investigate that a little bit further. Right now, I just pray that your heart would be open to hearing more about what Jesus has to say. Perhaps you might want to pick up a Bible and read. Perhaps you might just want to have a conversation with somebody. But open your heart this morning to what God has to say to you. And we pray that Jesus would do a mighty work in every one of us. Amen.